0: Welcome back to the podcast and the Punisher review segment. Today we are talking about two of my favorite songs of all time. First we're going to be doing Please Stay which is not from Punisher it's from Lucy Dacus's album Home Video and and of course Graceland 2 by Phoebe Bridgers as the second to last track on Punisher. These albums are linked in a lot of ways. I think they have a lot of similar sounds as they were both released after the Boy Genius EP and in the same year, I believe. And so, especially in these two songs, which are both notably about Julian Baker, I see a ton of overlapping and I'm that's why I chose to put them together because I do want to talk about Please Stay a lot because I believe it's my favorite track on Lucy Dacus' album Home Video and it's pretty much the only song that's really not a childhood reminiscent song unlike the rest of the songs on this album just to give a little overview and I'll probably do a section like an episode on home video as an album because it's it's so prolific but most of the album in itself just to give a brief summary is about Lucy's life and her childhood and stories that she has about different people and her relationships and while Julian Baker and her were good friends and possibly romantic partners at some point, I don't really have that for certain, but there's a lot of speculation from the public about that and just the relationships between the three of the members of Boy Genius in general. Um, it's a little bit more noted and more there's more proof behind the fact that Julian definitely was with Phoebe, and we know that Phoebe and Lucy have at least... Um, kissed and hooked up before as Phoebe said that in an interview so there's an interesting triangle but we know above all else as a fact that they are best friends and both of these songs are love songs very clearly you know whether it's romantic or just platonic it's just it doesn't matter is basically what the point is it's just love and it's just about loving another human being and another soul so so truly so home video is about all of her different people in her life from childhood but and her experiences but this song is completely about another person's experience julian which i think kind of signifies just how close julian is to her and how similar they are that she even considers her story her own in a way because of how much it impacted her as a best friend to julian and i think this song i think maybe the saddest types of songs in in my opinion are not songs where the person that, are, that is struggling is singing about their story. I think the saddest type of song is when you hear a person speaking about another person that they love and not knowing how to help them and expressing that they're witnessing somebody going through stuff and through their issues and problems and they don't know what to do and their form of coping and that internal battle basically and struggle of well why should i be writing about somebody else's experience if i feel this bad i can't imagine how they're feeling on a daily basis and feeling a little bit guilty to almost throw yourself a pity party when you're not the one going through it but you are if you're if you love somebody that person is partially a part of you just because they've been a part of your life for so long and Therefore, when you see somebody that you really, really love struggling to this extent that Lucy Dakis describes in this song, it's going to affect you and hurt you in different ways, but very powerfully, you know, almost as much as the other person who's actually going through it because you guys are linked and your souls are connected. And, you know, I think in a metaphorical way we're kind of like trees in that way human beings who love each other right our roots are connected and when one tree is suffering the other one will suffer too just because of their connection and then when another heals the other one will heal too it's you know it's a very there's nobody's alone essentially everybody is linked to other people in a way to people that they love everyone has lasting effects on their loved ones every decision they make every thing they're going through they're not alone in it and while that can be somewhat of a guilt-bearing sensation and it can also feel a little bit relieving to know that you're not entirely alone when you're struggling and and when you're healing you're also healing others it's an empowering idea to say the least so please stay is really about julian's struggles while they were happening and lucy dacus's you know feeble attempts at trying to express or maybe not feeble but that's how she feels about it she feels that she's feebly asking a person who is so far gone and in such a dark place asking them to listen to her and to tell her whatever she needs to do for julian obviously the title in itself please stay you can understand just from that title what this song is about her only request to Julian is that she stays alive because Julian Baker was, you know, suicidal for a while, especially when she was struggling with her addiction, which goes back to her teenage years that she's basically been coping with her whole life as a coping mechanism to a deeper mental illness that she was born with. And so I think that's really common also that people with initially bad mental health states will use alcoholism and drugs to cope and then that becomes an additional problem just as any other mental it's just another mental illness that's kind of it's given a different name and it is more chemical sure maybe internally in the body than just in the brain but it is equally as lethal and they can be linked very often and so We know that Julian has struggled with several mental illnesses and addiction slightly different, as I was saying. She was using to cope and then it began to take over her life and make her feel worse and make her feel unstable. And eventually she became suicidal, maybe not correlated to the alcoholism and the drug use and using altogether, but it I'm sure was a contributor And so when she is, when Lucy's writing this, she's writing from the state of mind that she was in when she was being there for Julian, when Julian was very obviously struggling to a very dangerous extent. I think this was very soon before Julian was committed to a rehabilitation center, and she has now come out and is clean for many years now and at least from alcoholism and for drug use and so that's really what Graceland 2 is about going into Phoebe's song Graceland 2 is about what happens after somebody sobers up and how you know you don't just dry up it just doesn't happen and you can extract everything that was Causing you harm from your body, but that doesn't take away the initial cause for the beginning of the usage. It doesn't take away from the fact that you're still suffering mentally. It just means you're not using that as a coping mechanism, sure, but it's still underlying. And addiction is not something that washes away the same way you can just stop drinking and stop using, even if that in itself is hard it's nearly impossible to get over the impulse and to get over the addiction in itself. And that's kind of what Phoebe's going into and how she's still not done on her journey of happiness and, you know, that may never come fully. Eventually, when somebody sobers up or, you know, starts to heal in some physical ways, and this is something I really relate to, you know, people just assume, oh, they're better now. They got through it and there's a quote that says, it's never going to get any easier. You know that, right? Yeah, I know because that's really how it is. It doesn't get easier. You learn how to deal with it, but it's never going to get better and I think a lot of people who haven't really struggled with extreme mental health issues and addiction just can't understand that, that you don't dry up and it doesn't all go away, even if you spend years in a rehabilitation center. And this is kind of in a continuation on like addiction, which we discussed many moons ago in Kyoto. And, you know, so Phoebe going into her part of the, you know, trio of these songs. And when I say trio, I mean, the third part would be Favor by Julian Baker. But because that is from Julian's perspective, I think that it's better that we stick to just these two tracks for right now. What to do and how to be there for someone after they've physically recovered, you know, because they're two very different things you know somebody can look better and seem better and you have no idea if they're doing worse than they than they were before you have no idea because we like to believe that we are empathetic creatures as humans and that and we are sure we are but it's also so much of belief is really based on proof and having belief when there is nothing to back it up is is really difficult to do, and I think a lot of people can't comprehend that. And so if somebody looks completely healed and seems so much better, it's easy to think, oh, they are better. Maybe they don't realize it, but they're better than they were. And they just don't remember how bad it was. And that's a very easy way to make yourself feel better and to ease your mind that your loved one is doing better. But that might not always be the case, and oftentimes it's not. You know, as I was saying even though the alcoholism and and using is really difficult and lethal, it was also acting as a way to heal from the deeper-rooted pain that that person was feeling. And now that that's gone, that person's feeling it more than ever now. And they're suffering from the withdrawal, and there's so many other factors that their coping mechanism added to their already bad mental health and so you know it's and that person might just feel like you know julian expresses like i'm not better like i'm worse i'm not healed at all just because i seem fine and i'm able to take care of myself and survive you know because i've learned you can train yourself to do these things but it doesn't make it easy and I think that's something that people don't really often understand if they're not, if they haven't been through it. And just because somebody looks like they're doing better because they've learned how to look like they're doing better, it doesn't mean that they are actually better and they may be worse than before. And and I think there's something like taking away, devaluing someone's feelings and kind of making them seem smaller because you think you know better is never the right, the truth. You don't remember things better than the person who went through it does. I think a lot of people want to believe that because especially with people who are addicts, right? Oh, you were using so much. You were always so amped up. You were so high. You were so drunk. You don't even remember how bad it was. No matter how inebriated a person is, in most situations for long periods of time, they'll know how they felt so much more than you ever can. And that is just a truth in life. And so assumptions and trying to make that person feel better by telling them you don't remember, you don't understand, you were so much worse, put into perspective, try to look at the good. These are not things that typically that person wants to hear because it's taking away from the person's actual true feelings and makes them feel like an imposter like maybe my feelings are false their feelings are not false feelings in general cannot be false it's what you're feeling and trying to convince someone that they don't feel the way they do is not going to help anyone and it's not going to make matters better looking at the bright side is a really great idea but it doesn't it doesn't usually help it makes that person feel ungrateful and it makes them feel small and unheard and unseen and their struggles feel unimportant. None of these things are helping a person feel better. By listening, by agreeing with what they're saying, actually does a reverse effect because it it keeps the problem in their shoes. And that's the only way somebody can help get better. You know, just doing simple things, looking at the bright side, you know, it's not often going to work. If you agree with that person and you tell them, yeah, things are bad, period, what are you going to do about it, period? Or how can I be there to support you while you're struggling? Because initially you're not going to be able to fix this person if their issues are so deep-rooted that they were on the verge of killing themselves. It just doesn't work like that. Even professional mental health people, you know, they can only help to a certain extent, but really only you can fix yourself, which is why so many people lose the battle. Only you can really focus on what you need to do. And all of this being said, I think that the way Lucy Dacus describes her way of being there for Julian Baker is exactly the right method. And it's it's putting, it's putting how you feel down. It's not telling Julian what to do. It's asking her what she needs. And there's such a big difference between those two. It's not giving advice at all. It's admitting and agreeing to Julian's struggles and believing her above all else. It's her explaining that anything that she is offering as help she doesn't have proof that that works. She's helping and she's using all the love she has to create small things that could be another another way to to cope. And I like that she's unsure with all of that. She all of the things she's telling Julian in her song. She's she's unsure and she doesn't know, but she's giving all that she can, and that's really all you can do. And so, with that piece of advice, and you know, just. Internal reveling. I want to get into this song because it's it's so incredibly beautiful and meaningful and important. Also, just to give some background on this song, I first listened to it when I was driving to LA one morning, super early. And when I listened to it, I I'm usually somebody who, when I first hear a song, like I've said many times, it doesn't affect me the first time, and it doesn't give me this bone tingling resonance that it gives a lot of people. I have to really look into it and think about it because usually the first time I listen to a song I'm listening to the melody and I'll listen to the lyrics too but they won't impact me as much. This song I listened to it started crying. I've never I don't think I've ever had that experience before. When I listened to a song the first four lines and I immediately started to weep. Like I've never had a reaction so immediate to a song. And I think I had to pull over in my car to finish listening to the song and have a good little cry because that's pretty hard for me. I don't usually cry. But this song really, it's impactful. So get ready. This, I think that Lucy, like I've said before, again, I know I'm kind of reiterating, but she is the best lyricist out of the three members of Boydianist that are the three dudes she just has a way with words that makes her more of a poet than anything else I mean she perfectly encapsulates watching somebody else struggling with her lyrics and it feels so personal and resonant and and so real I love the way she can talk about very small things and how they lead to a much bigger picture I don't know if that makes sense but her words are incredible and they have an effect on me they really do when a lot of lyrics don't usually the first few times they're also very they have a lot of imagery you can really picture sh- what the scenes she describes you can really see exactly what she's explaining to us
1: your clothes in the dryer your hair on the shower wall.
0: Just to give backstory, by the time I heard your hair on the shower wall, I think I had tears pouring down my face. Like, I don't know. There's something so real about these simple actions that just say so much that just really got me. She's listing all of these different things that are not done or are not taken care of. Simple, small tasks, basically, that Julian just can't accomplish and she can't do and when somebody's really struggling with their mental health usually it will either go into two extremes of leaving everything undone or doing too much usually it's the former and not having the stability to accomplish small everyday tasks which is basically what she's describing here you know not being able to take your clothes out of the dryer. And in an interview, Julian actually talked about how doing laundry is always a major issue for her and struggle because she has OCD and really struggles with being able to do small tasks for fear they're not going to be done right. And so sometimes it's easier just to leave things as they are and not to try to intervene with those objects. Just let them be. It's also just not having the energy or the strength to do things that are not vital to your survival and which even those things are not super easy to achieve. It's just not having the mental capability to do these things. And a lot of people would think these are so mundane and easy and small. They're brainless. But to people who have certain internal battles, these are not brainless and these take every effort in the world. And sometimes you just don't have the energy or the strength to accomplish them. I think more than that is even just the little things, but this is really just depicting what it would look like when Lucy walks into Julian's apartment and sees the way she's been living and sees, is beginning to see evidence, right? So I was talking about how sometimes people need proof to believe that someone's really struggling. And I think a person's living space and the way they take care of themselves are really good examples of that. So...
1: Your toothbrush is too much, your shoes empty in the hall, your keys on the counter, your dirty dish in the sink.
0: You know, showing that Julian is not taking care of herself in the way that she's not brushing her teeth, not taking care of her basic things that humans need to do to take care of themselves, not putting away things, leaving things out, right? If somebody walks into the apartment of somebody who is really mentally ill or really struggling at the moment, they're going to have proof just from that because a lot of times people with real depression and who don't see a reason in life will also not see a reason in maintaining the things that come as an addition with life and taking care of yourself and doing daily practices that you know to a lot of people are really mindless and are just routine but when you're really questioning why you start doing these things it makes you question if you should still do them if it's leading you anywhere and these are obviously questions that people who struggle with finding a reason in life have and I think that that in itself often is is proof enough of somebody's mental health. You know, you walk into the kitchen and see the dirty dishes in the sink and see the the way they're living. It's 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 definitely proof enough. I think this line goes right into a line from Graceland too that we're going to get to and talking about how her shoes are empty. She has no reason to leave the house. She has no motivation to do anything. And so what she has no reason to put her shoes on and they're always just sitting there empty and then going to the hall. That's a recurring theme. Another possible meaning is they don't have laces on them because laces can be somewhat of a danger to people who are struggling. And then this line, I think this is one like what really hit me when she says, please don't make me see these things. It's paining it's it's hurting lucy so much to see these tiny little pieces of evidence that you know i think these things could be seen as laziness but to lucy she understands that there's a much deeper meaning for not doing these small tasks it's not that she doesn't want to it's not laziness it's if she could she would and she just can't and the fact that she can't lucy sees that and she's able to comprehend just how serious the situation is and she knows that what the meaning behind these small things she's seeing are. And she knows that they are hints and possible omens to the future, a future that she doesn't want to imagine. And of course, a lot of times, it can be easy for loved ones to check out and, not, and be oblivious to the serious things in a person they love's life because it just hurts too much and they compartmentalize and don't want to feel it. But for Lucy... She reads into things, and a lot of people, I think, will overlook these small things, right? If the person looks okay, and they're able to talk, and they're coherent, and they are going about their lives in other ways, then these things are more likely to go unnoticed, but they have so much more meaning. And what makes Lucy such an incredible lyricist and human being, just an overall person, is that she's able to notice these small things and understand what they mean, which just shows how close she is to Julian, And it also, you know, it makes you wonder how much of this has now become a part of her life that she notices these small things and how much of her is aware of the smaller, unregarded aspects of, of mental health and struggles
1: with it. Please don't make me see these things.
0: You know, she's saying, please don't make me see these things, as in asking her, please don't let things get worse. And also, a way she's kind of saying her true feelings, which is, I wish I didn't have to see this. I wish I didn't have to watch you go through this. And I wish that I could separate myself, but I can't. And also,
1: let things get better. books on your shelf that you never read
0: the music kicks in a little bit more as she goes more into depth of what she's seeing when she possibly is walking around this person's home you know all of these i think this just symbolizes wanting to do these things that are good for you and then like reading and then just not doing it and you know having the idea but not carrying it out for healing yourself i also think that a lot of those small things are things that not only does lucy understand that are representative of her mental health but also her noticing things because you know as sad as it is she doesn't want to forget anything in case her words don't work and julian loses the battle with her mental health and she's trying to hold on to every single thing that was in julian's life
1: the hunting knife kept by your bed the flowers you tried and tied up with twine suspended from the ceiling
0: and now we get into some of the more obvious points to julian's struggling these are both i think they have the underlying meaning of temptations and they resemble suicide, I think. Right, having a knife just in case by the bed, having something suspended from the ceiling. You know, it, these, are, these are, theoretically, they have importance in Julianne's life and show her trying to have keepsakes that mean stuff to her and things that may or may not bring her joy. But there's also a fact that the things that make you joy could also be the thing that kills your joy and kills you. And, you know, she's noticing that the flowers are dead above her, these beautiful things that even they,
1: you know, eventually dry up. You tell me you love me like it'll be the last time Like it's playing out the end of a storyline
0: Reflection on a conversation of how she can not only see these things, but she can read and hear things just in a conversation with a person, just in their voice. You know, she's explaining how she heard Julian tell her that she loved her, but what she heard is it could be the last time she's hearing it. And going into that book's concept, right, with the storyline, she feels like she's painfully experiencing this possible idea that Julian's story is coming to an end. And she can hear that through her voice.
1: I say I love you too Because it's true What else am I supposed
0: to do? And then I really like this. I like how she's explaining the rest of the conversation and what she responds. And she's not expressing to her, straight to her face, all that she's understanding just from the words, I love you. She just responds, I love you too, because... It's what she knows how to do, and it's all that she knows how to say. I think this is just the most killing lyric. I mean, seriously, it's like literally just getting me choked up. Just, I don't, I don't know why, but just you hear this hopelessness and this helplessness in, in Lucy, even though she, you know she theoretically is mentally fine and she's not a danger to herself, but she feels completely lost. With the idea that Julian may or may not forever be in her life. And this idea of that she could possibly have a way to fix this, but she doesn't know what that is. And she's asking herself, asking the world, asking Julian, what else can I do besides tell you that I love you too? Because it's the truest thing she knows to her. And I think this really lets us in on on lucy's feelings through all of this you know i think this above all else really describes how she's feeling just lost and helpless and painfully unaware of how to fix this if she can and it's explaining how she feels this sort of burden on her back like she can't walk away from this she is supposed to do something but she doesn't know what maybe bar the door And then she gives herself this idea, maybe bar the door when you move to leave, which is like wanting to keep her just in her vision line by not letting her leave her sight. Or in another way, she might be just saying, maybe this is what you should do just in case, just to keep yourself safe. Remember that your safety matters, basically. Lucy said in an interview, This is about being a friend to someone who doesn't think they should continue living, and you are desperately trying with them everything at your disposal to tell them otherwise. Everything feels like fair game. Do anything with your life, ruin it. Don't end it. Just stay another day, that kind of thing. I've had a lot of friends throughout my life that have com- contemplated or committed suicide, and I've been involved to varying degrees as someone who they can talk to or physically be around. The sense of clarity in situations like that is so profound. Like the only thing that matters is that you're here. I think there's so much truth to that. I think people get caught up often and that's really what leads to it is that they're not thinking enough about really what life is and how much freedom you really have. And you can do anything as long as you stay alive. And I think that even her saying that is such a a helpful concept to remind Julian of. That you don't need to live this life, right? The way you're living it you have the option to change but there's also a great naivete in that in which she doesn't understand first and foremost that julian is not at that point of being able to just switch things you know it's gotten beyond that it's gotten too far and she doesn't know how to live anymore any any life but still lucy reminding julian that the most important things that julian's there It, it gives also julian this sort of burden that ending her own life is not ending her own life only you know it's it's killing her a part of her friends life and you know it's it's putting into perspective the effect you have and also a lot of times people who struggle this way don't realize that anyone wants them around and this is lucy has this great insight that reminding somebody how much they're valued and how much they belong in somebody else's life is it is a really good reminder that you're not alone like i was saying before and that your actions have effects on other people and that other people want you to stay alive even if you don't and for that to be motivation
1: i think you mean what you say when you say you want to die
0: and i i think this line is exactly what i was talking about it's It's not brushing things off. It's not making light of situations and of words just because you want to believe that they're just light and that they're not serious. It's her expressing, I think I believe you. I think that even though maybe there's not, there's a way that I could just look at this and think, oh, you're making light or, oh, you're being dramatic. Lucy's not doing that. She's believing Julian when she says, that she wants to die. She knows that that's not just a throw-around line and that that's serious. And she's not putting down and making small of the words that Julian says because she's holding on to every single word that she hears. Here, you actually can hear, and this is... This is insanely beautiful to me. You can hear Phoebe Bridgers and Julian Baker singing backup harmony and... The kind of reality it brings to this song is is pretty crazy to me because we know that this song was written about Julian, obviously it came out and was only allowed to be out for everyone to hear after Julian's safety recovery, basically, and being well again, which I think was a really kind and compassionate thing that Lucy was doing because. You know, it can be easy to want to share with others your feelings while it's happening, but also when what's happening is regarding somebody else's life, you have to take those things into into thought and to care. And so she waited to put this out on home video. Now that Julian is recovered, she's able to actually sing background, and it's almost like, here's proof. When she says, stay alive, you can hear Julian singing, stay alive, proving that, she did mean it when she was saying that because she's still here today and there's such a beauty and and just a real truth in those words now that we have again proof that julian is still here and she's able to sing this song with lucy and of course phoebe's adding in her vocals because again like she was also struggling with it when julian was because the three of them are best friends. And, you know, when one is suffering, the other two are suffering too. And so there's, there's such a, a knowing feeling in the way they're singing these lines, where each of them can resonate with these words in different ways from their own experiences of going through it. And yeah, and you can hear them singing softly throughout the entire song if you listen closely. I think that's just so brilliant. And the same thing on Graceland, too. You will hear Lucy and Julian singing back up and the geniusness no pun intended but maybe of the three of them each singing the other you know backing up the other two really showing and proving in their music that they are even if they're singing solo they're in the situation and their in their um stories are so aligned and cohesive and they're while they're backing up tracks, they're also backing up their friends in expressing that their feelings are valued and their music is valued to them and that their experiences are valued to them and how supportive they are in, with one another. I mean, it's just the most beautiful thing in the world that Julian is like giving her approval by singing background to this while also I'm sure for her hearing these words sung in front of her and her singing along really shows to her just how true these words are and how much her life means to somebody else. And how, with each one of their songs, they're supportive of each other's
1: st- stories. I think you mean what you say when you say you want to stay alive
0: But then, also, when she says you want to stay alive when she says that she wants to stay alive lucy believes that too it's not all or nothing she does she believes everything julian says essentially and she believes that sometimes people who really don't feel content alive can have times in their lives where they do want to be alive and see the beauty of life and see the reason to stay alive and that doesn't negate the fact that they at some point did not want to be alive and that they may not in the future it's just it's Part of the instance that they're in, and the current feeling that they have, and that little bit of hope is enough for Lucy to believe that this may not be the end for Julian.
1: Your job. Cut your hair, get a dog,
0: and then we get to the bridge. And basically, now she's listening now that she has a little bit of hope she feels that she has you know that freedom to just say all of the things that she could possibly do besides ending her life all of these things that you know maybe people take a long time to do and have to think long and hard about she can do them in an instant she can do anything as long as she doesn't do the one thing this goes back to what Dakis was saying do anything with your life ruin it don't end it just stay one more day These are all just alternatives of things that could give Julian some adrenaline, some sort of feeling in her chest again. So, you know, things to maybe solve a little, enlighten the burden just a little bit. You know, quitting your job, changing your appearance, getting
1: a pet. Change your name, change your mind, change your ways, give
0: them time. You know, changing your identity and giving her the allowance to change her mind, but also saying in a hidden plea, please change your mind and give it time. It's not going to be immediate, this change. It's going to take time, but just, just give it some more time. Give me some more time with, with you. Go back to school. Go back to sleep basically saying you could go back to school if you wanted or you could just go to sleep but just you know you don't need to do everything if you don't want to you could also just not do any of this just either do these things or don't do anything tell the secret And, you know, telling secrets you can't keep is a really great form of getting things off of your chest that are hurting you. And basically, Lucy's saying you can do these things. You can get that off of your chest, right? It's not going to matter as long as you you keep, you keep stay with me. You can end things that you've begun. You can go against your word. Call
1: me if you need talk to me again but please stay it's a complete selflessness she's
0: taking all of the importance off of herself she's being so incredibly selfless that she would you know risk not having julian in her life as long as julian keeps her own life you know what i Do you know it's she's basically saying I will always be there but I'm not going to force myself on you if you don't feel like talking because that's not going to help you either. Just anything you need I'll do it. It's she will live with the pain of never talking to her best friend again if it means that if it means that's what her friend needs. It's basically offering herself up to Julian and saying anything for you even if it hurts me. And I will always be there no matter what. And I think there's, I think hearing that must be so profoundly comforting to know that there's always someone around for you. That you're never truly alone. And besides all of these things, when we get to this outro, which is just a repetition, a plea, a begging from Lucy, this is the only thing that'll matter to her. This is the only gift that Julian could give her. This is the only thing that matters. Her one wish basically after this entire song has played out all that julia needs to take away from lucy from her words from her song is just to stay and right she's not saying stay alive she's just saying stay you know just stay in my life stay in yours stay on this earth you matter this is the one thing she wishes and it's just a the repetition really highlights how desperate she is for her to hear these words and often when people are in a crisis they'll repeat things that they really mean and need and i, I just think the way that her voice breaks on the last please is so it makes it so real it makes you understand that this is not a fictitious story this is real it's based on somebody it's based on julie and her best friend this song is really sad right it's extremely sad but i wonder just how much of this and then the next song we're going to get into right now how much of it really helped, you know? How music saves, how music keeps people alive, you know? And we know for a fact that, you know, Julian did stay and she's sober and she, you know, as we, can't, we can only say on speculation, but she's able to perform again. She's able to show up. She's able to have two people living with her at all times, which is, you know, Phoebe and Lucy. They're on tour. She's doing the things that keep her alive and, and that's enough. And we know that she currently is winning at this battle, and that's a beautifully hopeful present that we're at. and it's, yeah, this song is so meaningful to me, and I think I think it goes beyond just like you know, life versus not life, but but begging for things to stay as they are and not get worse, you know Every, I think a lot of people can relate to that, and just you know, believing that we're either going to stay where we are and let this be the worst or there's a possibility that things could possibly get better. How cool
1: is that? But please
0: So now we're going to get into Graceland 2, and this is, like I said before, a totally different type of song in the sense that it is about the aftermath of Julian leaving her rehabilitation center, and what it's basically what would happen through Phoebe's eyes and from what she knows right after she left, and having this new freedom of being able to be on your own without being under the lookout of mental health professionals, and It's kind of this idea of like the same way an 18 year old who has just been able to leave their parents' house and actually be on their own because it's legal now to make their own decisions and they're not under the care of anyone legally and they can do whatever they want. And it's this freedom that also has a lot of danger and and fear of the unknown because you realize that you are no longer needing to stick to anyone's rules and you can do whatever you want, which is basically what this song is about and how the struggle is never over, like I said before, and how you don't just get cleared and you don't just dry up. It's a long process and this is about kind of the hardships of knowing what to do with yourself and knowing what your life will become once you are free of the snare that you kind of put upon yourself because you knew you couldn't control yourself and it's knowing that you have control enough to take care of yourself but also it's knowing you have the ability to be on your own but also that's a scary thought being on your own because it takes you back to when you were alone before and how you got to the very place where you needed to be taken care of. It makes one feel really young again almost like I was saying to feel so new to the idea and it's so fresh this concept of doing whatever you want and being on your own except you have this new maturity where you know that that's not just a luxury and there's a lot of responsibility that that carries being on your own like i said this song also has julian and lucy singing back up towards the end and it, it has a real feeling of friendship and love and phoebe always regards the song as a love song she always announces that. Oh!
1: um this one's about uh, th- this one's about being in love also but um uh about like loving someone and then it making you like want to be a
0: better person which is nice when she plays it because it really is a song of love from an outsider to a person who is obviously still struggling despite them healing themselves in many ways that are more maybe visible, but it's not denying the fact that she's still going through the battle and is still fighting for herself every day now that she's on her own again maybe more than ever because she has the option to do anything and she has to choose to do the right thing, you know? and There's this quote that I like that says, You usually have to choose between doing what you want to do and then doing what is right. And usually the two are not exactly linked in your mind. And this is choosing what's right and what she knows she should do, not what she feels her gut is telling her to do. And take that as you will. And it's about knowing that people supporting you is one of the best ways that you can grow and learn to be alone. It's a kind of, it's a paradox, right? You can't really learn to be alone without other people's guidance. And if you were in this unnatural area where you knew that you had no option to choose what you wanted to do and you were under people who forced you rather than people who were influencing you, there's a great difference, right? And I think that's the difference between a teenager going out on their own searching for their life and somebody who has exited rehab and is searching for their life, right? There's this knowledge that you have been told what to do for so long that you almost lose your grasp of what is right and what you should do. And you've lost your sense of knowing what to do because everyone always has an option as a kid and everyone has an option to rebel or listen or obey their parents. But with her state, she literally had no option and she had all of these things removed from her because she knew she couldn't be trusted, but now there's so much trust that she has to have in herself that she can be alone and take care of herself fully. But the paradox of it is that you, you can't be alone ever. You cannot just ghost everyone in your life and be okay. The idea is that you can be alone and be independent while also knowing that you need people that you love around to support you and guide you. I mean, we as humans always need our loved ones around, even if we're the most independent creatures. And so this song is about how she doesn't have to go through this alone and that her friends are there for her and they love her and they are going through it with her. And like I said before with Please Stay, that offers this equal sense of burden as it does with relief that you- You're free from being chained to just yourself and your own ideas and thoughts. You have other people around always to care for you. When you need somebody, they'll be there for you and they will do whatever it takes. I also think that's something that's not given to everyone. You know, this promise, this, you know, people will say, I'm here for you, I promise. But then when things get too bad, it's easy for them to make excuses and stray away and Decide that it's not right, it's not healthy for themselves to be there for you. And while there's a lot of truth to that, that people need to take care of themselves and distance themselves from people who are hurting and maybe a bad influence, I think there's a lot of people don't realize that that is not fair because a lot of times the people that, and that's why people go to rehab, right? But rehabilitation can only last for so long. And there comes a time where you need to be independent and on your own and live a normal life if you want it. And this is the place that Julian was at where she was deemed ready to be alone. But the reason a lot of people relapse is because they don't have people around them supporting them, a good support group for the aftermath. Because the reason those exist is that it's not over when you step out of those halls. And you're away from the chains that you had on yourself. And... A lot of people might be scared to be around somebody who's been through so much and it's easy for them to distance themselves and put themselves around people who are good influences. But honestly, what that really does is it alienates the people who are considered bad influences or too much to handle. And that creates this isolation that hurts them. And this song is about sacrifice too, beyond just love. It's about putting what you think you might, maybe you might need aside, it's about selflessness, I think. Maybe it's not always easy to be there for somebody unconditionally, and maybe it's not always good for you. But the truth at the end of the day is if you know you're stronger than them, you have the ability to put those fears and feelings aside and know that what you're doing is the right thing. And this goes back to the idea. What you're doing might be not be the best for you but it's the right thing and the kind thing and the decent thing to do is to sometimes push away your own needs and be there for somebody else because you know they don't have the luxury to walk away from themselves the way you do and that's what phoebe really conveys in this song
1: no longer a danger to So, the first
0: line obviously, it's a call to the term that a lot of people use when people need to be instated when they are a danger to themselves or to other people. I think this can mean anything from any range of mental illness, including addiction. If you are a danger to yourself and then a danger to others, it is you're no longer able to be alone because you need people to watch over you and take care of you and it's often something that people feel in themselves when they will put themselves in that place if they feel that they can't control themselves and what they may do. It's also just a regular legal terminology and on this risk assessment and it's basically a way for professionals to judge if you need to be in an inpatient facility. And it's a nod to a psych word, of course, because this next line. Lacing up your shoes, right? That goes back to that line in Please Stay where she's talking about how her shoes are empty in the hall. You know, the same kind of thing. We're getting to this concept of shoes in the hall, which at first represented her empty house where she stayed in bed all the time and wouldn't leave. And so she wouldn't put on her shoes. And now they removed her shoes from her, not because she shouldn't go out, but because the shoelaces could be a danger to her um, as a possible way of suicide. Um, And so again it's referring to these shoes that are constantly separated from her meaning that her freedom is separated from her right she can't have the basic things that humans have like the ability to leave and the ability to go on walks and the ability to put on her shoes because it's a danger to her and making up your mind i think there's such a really cool double use of this term right so you made up your mind it's such a common term which means you've decided something and you're not going to go back on it she knows what she's going to do and she's going to put on her shoes and trust that she is not going to use them as a temptation or to it is a danger to herself but she's going to put these shoes on and she's going to leave and she's going to gain her freedom back by leaving the rehabilitation center and in the same way, it's also a way of saying she made up her mind, which sounds the same, but let me explain. When you say somebody's made up, you can say, oh, like you are all dolled up. You've you're, you put on makeup. You look good. In other words, she's given her mind a sort of glow up, if you will. She's made up her mind and she's made it a more beautiful and livable space for her to be with and stick with. And so she's changed her mind in the sense that she has made it a safe one, or she's been working on her mind and her mental health enough that she can live with herself. This one really gets me because it's, again, a reference to that hall that Lucy was talking about, but it's a different hall this time. It's the hall to the place that she was. And, you know, it's kind of calling out the fact that she's on her own now. Nobody answered. She is no longer needing assistance and she is no longer at the same time an importance to the people that she felt such an importance to where they regarded her life so dearly. Nobody answered because they believed that she was safe and that her yells were unimportant because she is deemed as healthy and fine and clean. I think this is calling out the fact that once you are given the legal okay to be on your own, those people won't check in on you and they don't really care and it's all, you realize that it was all just a a legal matter in their job and it can be this kind of sinking feeling that you were never cared for by the people that were obviously taking care of you and also that your feelings are not as important anymore because as long as you're not a danger to yourself, your feelings are passable like anyone else's. It's this kind of way of explaining that she is alone on her own And that can be painful, too, even though she craved her freedom for so long. So she walked
1: outside
0: without an excuse. It goes to that first line, and I didn't even realize how fitting that was, but how I was saying that she needed, like, a real reason to leave the house when she was going through her depression and how she wouldn't leave unless she actually had a cause because going out for no reason is sometimes just it's too much to bear and it's too difficult and it's not as easy as somebody saying I'm gonna go for a walk I'm going to go for a stroll down the lane it's you know a lot of times people who are not taking care of themselves don't think that things like that are necessary and unless they have a real reason to leave they just won't and in Julian's case that was what was kind of happening what Lucy was describing her kind of living in her misery and not doing anything to change it a lot of mental health professionals will say going on a walk will really help with your whatever panic or anxiety or depression you have but you know taking care of yourself takes a great deal of effort and a lot of people won't listen to these possibly good advices maybe out of doubt and skepticism and saying oh i'm too far gone these little concepts won't help and sometimes they really won't and that's true but there's always room to try And that's what Julian's coming to terms with. And also, it's also saying she doesn't need an excuse to leave the house because, or to leave the Rehabilitation Center right before. She needed to have, almost like when in school, when you're let off early, you need to have like a slip, an excuse for why you're leaving early. In this case, it's you have to have a reason for why you're leaving this facility because otherwise you're not really allowed to be out on your own whenever you feel like it. But now she has that ability. She can go whenever she wants without a reason, without an excuse. She has nothing to prove to anyone for why she's leaving.
1: She could do anything she wants to. She could do
0: she wants to do. And then we get into the chorus, which is such a beautiful just mantra. It's she can do anything she wants to. It gives this freedom that we don't realize we have, unless it's taken away from us, I think. As adults, we just know, oh, we have this freedom, we can do whatever we want, but it never really sinks in the real depth of that because obviously we have rules and laws created by society and created by the world we live in. But genuinely, when you're at a point, like Lucy was saying, when you are in a life or death place it puts a whole light on what life really is and how it's so much freer than we tell ourselves and that there's so many things that we can do just on a whim if we feel like it and that not everything needs a deep thinking and that we could choose to do anything we wanted to. I think a lot of people who have anxiety overthink everything and have to really plan out every single action they do out of fear, but the truth is when you have that freedom again, you realize that you could absolutely do anything you can go drive to the beach and jump into the cold ocean if you wanted to right now like there's no reason for anything not everything needs to have a purpose and we can do mindless things just because we can because we have that ability and it also it's a scary thought that we can do anything and that's and anyone can do anything and that if we live in a world where people are so free it can be both scary and beautiful and it's also this idea that knowing that Julian has grown so much and she's able now to do things when she wasn't able to do anything before. It's this real notice from Phoebe that, that her friend is now so capable and so apt to doing and able to do anything she wants to. And she has this strength in her that she didn't have before. And Phoebe's noticing that. And it's also this feeling that sometimes people get after a depressive episode where they suddenly feel like they can do anything and this all great power is upon them and that there are no repercussions and that they feel almost like invincible and that can happen to a lot of people after they've been down for so long and and it takes a while to get that proper regular state of balance again but that's often a feeling people get when they are so elated and euphoric with freedom when they've been so chained to their mind for so long. I think going to the fact that this is a track on Punisher, we can look at the term home that she uses so many times. She's in garden song and in Chinese satellite that home is this beautiful unknown place where a place of freedom and peace, right? And we don't know if she means home is an actual physical place on this earth, but it's, or if it's something metaphysical, but we know that Phoebe longs for home so often, and that home can sometimes be taken away from you, and that it really has to be a mental state and not a real place, because places, they will never be guaranteed and for you forever. Home could be, for Phoebe, it could be a place of peace, and a mental state but for Julian she could be meaning like actually her real home a home where she crumbled and fell apart and that may lead to bad influences whether there is liquor and alcohol and drugs in the cabinets or if it's just a place that reminds her that she could also relapse and it's this decision that she's not going to go home to that place and she's not going to go back to the place she came from essentially and so while home could represent something really beautiful and possible for Phoebe, it also could represent something really dark and negative for Julian, in a place that she knows too well and she wants to do something new and go somewhere new and find herself. And so she's not gonna go back there, but she's choosing a new life by choosing a new home. And then we get to the second verse where she decides to go to Nashville.
1: she picks a direction
0: julian said there used to be this thing called graceland too it was this guy's house and it was kind of full of memorabilia and it was kind of creepy but it was kind of awesome it was like a cult legend and if you drove out to his house in the sticks it was across the bridge really far away if you drove out there and you bought him a six pack of coca-cola he would show you around his weird house where he lived alone with all of this memorabilia. When he died, it was in the paper and everyone collectively mourned the owner of Graceland 2. And if you went three times, you got this little card that said lifetime member of Graceland 2. Little disparities like that between the real and between pop culture significance and the cult bizarreness of mem- Memphis, right? So if we really stop and think about that for a second, it's this place that worships somebody so much. And it's this kind of almost like pretend world a little bit pretending to be real but is actually real an actual place a real location that sounds like it's pretend while pretending to be something else in that trippy sort of contradictory way it kind of makes you think well if we keep altering people and worshiping them then they never really die and they never really disappear and it feels like this tradition that somebody keeps alive that everybody knows about is so it becomes, it turns them into their own sort of icon. And it's like a person who worshiped an icon so much will then become an icon to somebody else. And it's this like cycle of one after another, people gaining fame for doing crazy things, worshiping one another. And I think this actually calls to music and how, you know, a lot of artists are so deeply influenced by other artists that it will influence them to create music. And then those new artists are worshiped by another artist and the cycle just continues on and we see this with Phoebe and Elliot Smith and now we see people like me who worship Phoebe so much who really created music based on his and it's so such an interesting thing the way humans are so dependent on one another and how we love to worship people that we love and look up to them and let them influence us with our lives and so the idea of merging two polar opposites together in one
1: turns up the music so thoughts don't intrude. predictably wonder, of
0: Elvis. and so when julian's driving by memphis where she's from essentially she's choosing not to go there but she's recalling her childhood and her time in memphis and She doesn't want to think too many things, so she's just turning up the music and letting herself not think about the darkness that is held in her childhood, but the good things. And that can be hard to do. And so I think a lot of people who have really like intrusive and pressing thoughts that are going too fast for them will just have this way of coping where they just play music really, really loud, whether that's playing music themselves on an instrument or turning on music that makes them feel good and then blasting it. I know me personally. I will play my music so loud that it nearly bursts my eardrums, and uh, I literally hear ringing, and it feels so wonderful. And I feel the m- music vibrations going through my veins almost. And I can, when I go to concerts too, I I look at people with earplugs in, and I think, I mean, obviously, I get that there are reasons for that medically, but I just think I need to absorb every inch of sound. I think sound is one of the most beautiful things and one of the most influential and powerful feeling senses. And it's so important to feel all of it to me. And it's crazy how, what an effect sound has to like, especially artists, I think, and how you can't, (laughs) you can't change what you see. You can try to magnify it, it doesn't change the fact that it's suddenly overpowering you. But with sound, with music, you can turn it up until you feel a physical response where you feel the bass is rattling your insides and you feel everything going through your bloodstream. And it's its just a sense that you don't really get with anything else. And it almost feels like using and like you're suddenly high and amped up on just the sounds from the amps and so it is a way of almost clearing your brain because your brain is so overstimulated by the sound and it's a really nice comparison and juxtaposition to your brain being stimulated by your own thoughts and your own brain itself and so it's almost a perfect way to tune out and kind of numb your brain without actually doing anything physical to it and so it's a way to push away those thoughts for a little bit and dissociate and zone out in a good way where you don't have to think about anything and you can just drive. And I notice uh, as I was saying about myself like uh, people will like get into my car and I'll just turn the music up like I'm used to and they'll be like what are y- this is so loud. And I'm thinking I turned it down for you. And it's just it's this idea I'm like oh so not everyone wants to burn their brains out with music until they can't feel a thing anymore. That's not, a, that's not a universal concept, and I have to remind myself that sometimes, because music to me, it's not meant to be listened to, to background. I don't listen to background music. It's not something I do. I put on music, and that's it. I'm going to blast it, and I'm going to let it invade my system, and I need to absorb it and have it scarred into every part of my brain so that it's there forever, and I think Julian relates to this. And I think Phoebe definitely does. And wonders if he believed songs could come true. How that was a place in her home and how it represents this kind of culty bizarreness, as Julian was saying. And this is my, one of my favorite lines of all time. Wonders if he believes songs could come true. I mean, like, I want to just think about that for a second. And I, I do think about that all the time. Can songs come true? Are songs wishes in a way? Are songs, when you write them, like prayers? And if so, is that why some musicians and artists want their prayers that they relate to, that they hear from others, you know, the way you do in church, the way you go, and you hear other people saying something, and you repeat it, and you engrave it into your head, and you etch it into your system. Is that the same thing? with Are songs so different? We sing songs, you know, in religion. And in this case, if you rever an artist, in a way, they are an icon to you. And so it's almost like hearing a prayer from somebody you love and, and relating to this prayer so much and wanting the same thing. And so you're like repeating it and you're letting it invade your system and hoping that if you listen to it enough, it will, and you know, you repeat it and it becomes this mantra in your life. It'll come true. I think about that a lot. Like our songs wishes can songs, you know, if you write songs of things you want, do you think the universe can hear them too? asking for it if they do and then this chorus it's i don't know it it fills me with this like happy teariness when she says even the way she sings this line is like she's like has so much plea and longing and hope but also begging in her voice and it's Her voice is so high pitched in this moment and it's just such a beautiful thing. The way she says, I'm asking for it if they do. She's basically saying that if these songs can come true, if somebody's listening out there, I'm begging you to listen to my song and to listen to my wish. And I'm begging for this to come true and I think about this a lot. And it's kind of going into that concept of music is so powerful that it can do incredible things. It can save lives. It can alter our brains. It can block out thoughts and feelings and then also create feelings that we didn't know we had. Like the way that I had to pull over from the feeling that police stay had on me, right? When I was driving the car down the Ventura Highway, you know, when I wasn't feeling sad, it just, it hit me. It struck me and music has that power. And so if if music is that powerful, maybe it can make wishes come true and can create miracles. And so that's really what she's asking for in this song. That this song is her sung wish. It's a way of making her thoughts and wishes into a more tangible and real thing.
1: Doesn't know what she wants what she's gonna do. This
0: idea of that
1: she's complete.
0: She, her entire future is a thick layer of fog, and she can't see what it's going to be. And she's living in this vague idea of what her life is going to be in the future. And that can be scary, but also freeing, right? Knowing that you have no set plan and that you, you are taking things very much in the present and just doing everything you need to do in the moment and not needing, you don't need to think about the future all the time and what's going to happen and with her with this fresh start she doesn't know what she wants or what she's gonna do and and she's this strong person but without any idea of what the future holds this next line she references tom petty and she obviously really loves tom petty he's a big influence on her as we know from her track it'll all work out which is a cover by She said in an interview with NPR, lyrically, I steal from a couple people to try to pass it off as reference. I have a Rebel Without a Clue line, which is a replacements line that Tom Petty already stole, which is hilarious. So I'm just stealing it again. It's from the song by Tom Petty, Into the Great Wide Open. And the thing about music is that there's no new chord progression. Everything is in a way borrowed, not stolen. You know, there's never going to be a new a new note a new chord progression everything is being recycled and resampled and taken to mean different things for each individual's music and so the same can be done with lyrics if a lyric really strongly affects you and alters your thoughts and it influences a song of course you have all of the validity to add it to your music and it will represent something different for each person that uses it especially a really clever line like this and so you know, a rebel without a clue is a really cool juxtaposition because when we think of rebels, we think of these kind of strong, fearless people who know exactly what they're doing. They're going against society. They're going against rules. And yet they this idea of she's a rebel, she's going against what she's told to do, but also she has no idea what she's going to do with that freedom and with that rebellion. It's a really cool kind of unmasking and kind of showing the vulnerability of everyone, even people who seem so strong and undaunted. Then we get into this post-chorus, which we hear Julian and Lucy singing with Phoebe. And then we get to this marvelous bridge that I've said before, Phoebe doesn't really do bridges that often. And we know from this that that is not why, the reason why is not because she can't. We see that this is one of the best bridges I've ever heard. And so it's not... We know for a fact that the reason she doesn't use them always is not because she's incapable of doing so because this is a masterpiece i think it's so you know speaking about how people reuse and use other people's music and let them influence their songs i think this is pure phoebe right here and that it's unreplicable and it's so unable to be compared to anything because it's so nuanced and individual for just Only Phoebe could write such a beautifully constructed line of lyrics that have so much depth with personal factors for her and Julian and an experience that she had using metaphors. So we spent what was left of our serotonin. She says we spent what was left of our serotonin. And I think that what she's saying is both that we only have so much happiness and like of that chemical happiness in us. Um, Especially people who use antidepressants, you know, they take serotonins to up their sort of happiness. And also this can be found in a lot of drugs, not just antidepressants. And so she's kind of saying, we use the rest of the drugs that we had with serotonin in them when we reunited the reason that a lot of people sometimes feel this like down feeling after a, a molly trip is because what molly does is it amplifies all of the serotonin you have in your brain and then it will take it all away when it's the trip is over so in other words it spends all of it in that trip and so the chew on our cheeks and stare at the moon? chew on our cheeks and stare at the moon because molly or mdma or ecstasy however you want to call it it has that serotonin but it also can have a few side effects like chewing on your cheeks and nervousness and nausea so she's saying we use what was left of it to look at the moon which kind of depicts you know this sort of you know beautiful image of of them looking at the sky and talking about what their lives have been and what is to come and looking at the greater universe and hoping for more out there. And the moon is obviously so representative to Phoebe because, you know, she wonders so much about what is in the greater universe and what else is out there and what the moon means and how she takes a lot of fascination in it and how it is able to light up the sky throughout so, so much distance. And this is just kind of like a memory of Phoebe doing, doing Molly with her friends and in a safe way and in nature and looking at the moon.
1: Said she knows she lived through it to get to this moment.
0: While they're, you know, talking and having these deep thoughts, you know, probably amplified from their drugs. is, I think this lyric is one of the most touching lines that Phoebe has written. You know, we all want that to have that feeling, that feeling where you get to the top of the mountain and you look down at the valley and you realize all of the work you pushed through to get to that point was worth it and that there was a reason for it and that you've reached the point that you thought you would never reach to and that you thought would never come of feeling free from the darkness that was your past,
1: Ate A sleep assault all teens on my floor, and I, knew I would do anything you want me to. I would do.
0: And ate a sleeve of saltines on my floor is representative of, you know, how, as Phoebe put, I did MDMA with someone who ate a bunch of saltines afterwards because their stomach hurt. So it's like, you know, that nausea, you know, people eat saltines to feel better. And that's representative of the aftermath. It's kind of this very niche little portrayal of what they were doing as friends It's this simple task, again, just like in Please Stay, which is why I relate the song so much. It's like this simple thing, just eating some saltines on the floor, but sometimes the littlest things can make you realize how much you love someone the same way that the littlest things can mean so much in Please Stay on Lucy's song. And when she saw her doing that, Phoebe just knew. And I think that this line really just means I love you. It means, you know, doing anything for somebody is just one of the best ways to say I love you and selflessness and being so willing to be there for somebody no matter what is, is a true sign of sincere love. It's this repetition the same way that we hear the repetition in I will be anything. be whatever you want. Anything you want me to in Halloween, but this time... I will do anything for you. And there's such a difference in those two lines. In the fact that it's one is a sign of changing yourself and one is a sign of doing and being there and being willing to take a bullet for another person and being just absolutely selfless for them. In an interview with Apple Music, Phoebe explained, caring about someone who hates themselves and is super destructive is the hardest thing about being a person to me. Revealing that she is prepared to do anything, literally anything, to help the subject of the song. You know, talking about Julian's specific condition with addiction and lack of control. You know that as a person who loves them, you also cannot have control over them. They can't be controlled the same way they can't control themselves. And so all you can do for somebody is be there for them. And that sounds like a little thing, right? When people say, oh, as long as you're there for me. But When it actually comes down to that, being there for somebody takes so much effort and so much willingness and so much sacrifice, and it's not as easy as it sounds. And the fact that Phoebe means it so truthfully and that she's explaining that, yes, it is the hardest thing about being a person, but you're not, she's never leaving. She's never straying away and deciding that that person is too much for her. There will never, it's... This comfort to Julia knowing that there will never be a breaking point where Phoebe decides it's too much, I can't handle you. It's that no matter what, I love you too much to ever let go and I will always be there for you and I will do anything for you. I think that that kind of promise is an almost way of sealing her wish of her getting better because it's her helping her wish come true too. It's this just pure example of unconditional love.
1: And then we hear
0: Julian and Lucy singing in the background where we're hearing that they're saying the same things back to Phoebe. And the thing is, when you're there for people... It's not one-sided. They're going to be there for you too when you need it. And that's what's so beautiful about connection and love. And that it's not one-sided when it's, it's never always going to be one-sided. And then the outro is just this mantra, this repetition, as I've been saying, of really trying to convey this idea the same way that, you know, if Lucy ended, please stay with, please stay, please stay, please stay. Phoebe is repeating whatever you want, whatever you want, whatever she wants, whatever she wants. Anything that, Julian has this knowledge that one person, one of her best friends, wants her presence so much, and then once she's given them that wish, she's giving her other friend her other wish, which is anything she needs to stay this way, Phoebe will do it for her. Stuck with you through it all, through the distance and time and space, and that they're aware that this isn't the end of that hardship, but they will still stick with you, because They've done it so far. Phoebe's hearing it back to herself and it's this sort of way of closing the song with the three of them promising to one another that they will always stick by one another forever. And I want to talk about now that the song is done and we're left with that beautiful positive ending, which I, you know, gives me chills. I, I love it so much. It's one of the most pretty songs ever. It's such a different sound to the rest of her other tracks on this album. This one has a pure bluegrass, Americana, folksy kind of sound that we really don't hear in a lot of other songs, but that is really the main type of music besides rock and roll that Phoebe listens to. And again, she reminds me a lot of me in that way, that like there's such a big contrast of listening to like heavy metal and then also listening to super beautiful and simple banjo acoustic songs and just being one or the other all the time and always wanting some extreme of 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 music whether it's one emotion or another and you know i think the reason that she chose to do this song to that track is that i think her relationship with women versus men has a really different sound and feel to her and that this kind of feeling this kind of love that she has is pure and honest and there's not, you know, darkness to it and it, it represents exactly what like that kind of banjo country ballad sounds like. Whereas like her other songs where there's so many other things that are in this dark connotations that she has that she chooses to do rock with. And then sometimes with her mental health has a darker edge. And so it's I think that's really what represents this kind of unique sound in this album. And I think my friend actually pointed that out when we were listening one day. We were listening in the car driving up to North California and we were listening to this whole album. And I, you know, it's one of my biggest love languages if somebody will sit down and listen to this album with me, which basically my podcast listeners are doing, which, so thank you, I love you. But we were listening to this album and when we got to this song, she turned to me as I was driving, she's like, this is such a different sound from everything else we've heard. And I was like, yeah. And she was like, I bet that's because this is, you know, about her love for a woman rather than all of the other kind of topics that she's talked about. You know, this is a real love song. When the rest were songs about one-sided love and wanting to find your place in the world. But this one is, even though it's about something so sad and so heartbreaking, there is a, a happy ending to it. And it's, you know, it's about wishes and hopes. And that's why it has such a, a positive, lighter sound to it with that, you know, country violin, and I think it almost sounds like what you imagine when you're thinking of them all looking up at the moon, that time that she's describing in the bridge. I hope you like this song, this is one of my favorite songs of all time, and I'm so happy that I got to talk about it, so we are now going to be getting into I Know the End, and I'm so glad that I got to talk about both of these songs because The two together I think pair so beautifully, so perfectly, the songs Please Stay and Graceland too, right? We have the dark and the light of Julian's struggles and her story, and I think that her best friends, or Boy Genius, sing it and depict it perfectly together. I will see you next time for I Know The End, the final track on Punisher.